Welcome to the Skeletons in My Closet podcast. My name is Crystal Pastis. These stories are not for the faint of heart. They are the hidden secrets and dark confessions the world was never supposed to know. So, let the sleepless nights begin. As I lay on the front porch, I watch the moss wave gently in the summer breeze. The branches of the willow dip into the murky bayou waters. Ripples dance on the still water surface. The Louisiana sun beats down on my skin. My cut-off shorts and t-shirt adding as a poor protection from the hot rays. I can feel the hard wooden slats of the front porch leaving indentations on my arms and legs. Coco, our basset hound, lays by my side. Her floppy ears rest against my arm. She sighs gently as the humid air washes over her graying fur. We got her when I was seven, a few months after my mother died. Trying to explain to a seven-year-old the horror that your mother isn't coming home because of a drunk driver isn't an easy thing to process. I think my dad got Coco as a way to help me heal. I'm 19 now, and Coco is still by my side. A little older, but just as loyal as ever. The twang of a banjo echoes in the calm afternoon quiet. My father, sitting in his rocking chair, plucks a couple of strings. His hat dips down over his face, shading his eyes from the bright summer rays. Callous fingers play another note. He looks older than he is from a lifetime of working on fishing boats. His skin weathered from years of sun on his back. He always said he doesn't much care how he looks. He wears his rough skin as a badge, a lifetime of working to provide for his family. I love his banjo playing. At the end of a long day, this is his serenity, his porch and a banjo, adding a soundtrack to our quiet Southern life. Our little house lays on the edge of the bayou's swampy waters. We reside about 20 miles away from the intensity of the main streets of New Orleans. Occasionally, we'll see a group of tourists looking for the authentic Louisiana experience, or a canoe of some adventuring souls who want to experience the swamp wildlife. For the most part, they will see a snake in a tree, and that will be enough for them to turn around. My father and I have been on our own out here The quiet has become something we can count on. It was our peaceful paradise, our safe little haven. It was until that night. Around 6 p.m., my father said he was going into town to get some food for breakfast tomorrow. He put down his banjo and picked up the keys to our old red pickup truck. I heard the engine turn over and roar into gear. 
I heard the tires on the dirt road as my father drove away. I cozied up on my father's rocking chair with Coco, her head resting on my leg. I took a sip of my iced tea, and we sat there, enjoying the lazy summer night, watching the fireflies dance in between the reeds poking up from the swampy waters. I was planning on going in to make dinner soon, but the thick, humid summer air engulfed me, like a warm blanket, and my eyes got heavy. The distant croaks of the bullfrogs sounded like a sweet lullaby. Five more minutes, I tell myself. Just five more. My eyelids began to droop as the fireflies came in and out of focus. I don't know how long I was asleep for. It could have been ten minutes, it could have been an hour, but... I started to wake up from my nap by a distant rumbling sound coming from the water. The warm air had melted all the ice cubes in my tea. A ring of water surrounding the glass from the wet condensation. The sound was getting closer. The gentle thumping of an old motor. My first thought was that it had to be a swamp tourist boat. Most of the time, the tourists were friendly and we would wave to them as they passed. Sometimes, Dad would play an old-timey southern song on his banjo for the crowd. I look at my watch. It's almost seven o'clock. The tour boats never come out this late. The sun is starting to set behind the willows. Dad should be getting back soon. Coco begins to stir from the sounds of the boat's motor. A low, ominous growl comes from deep in her throat. I pat her fur to calm her. She usually likes it when people come by, but... Who would be out on the bayou this late? The boat is getting closer. I can see it in the distance now. I can make out the silhouettes of two young men on the boat. They look like they're in their mid-twenties. They look exactly the kind to be out on Bourbon Street this time of year, partying during their college summer break. Definitely not the type to live around here. The one driving the motorboat is wearing a backwards baseball hat, a bright blue polo shirt with the collar popped. He is drinking beer from a dark glass bottle. The other boy has a light purple shirt on, No hat. They couldn't have looked more out of place right now if they tried. I was fighting back the urge to laugh, but Coco's growls are getting louder and louder now. She is on all fours, staring them down. I move toward the front of the porch, where I can hear their voices better. The one in the purple shirt looks nervous. He turns to the boy driving the boat. Marcus, let's get out of here, okay? If we haven't seen any gators yet, I don't think we will see them after the sun goes down. This place is giving me the creeps. The one driving the boat turns to the other boy. Will you shut up, Tony? I came here to get a picture with a gator, and we are not leaving till I do. I don't know, man. 
Who knows what the locals are like around here? Let's just get back to the hotel so we can party. Tony responds. The boat is getting closer. Coco is getting more and more unnerved. I'm not getting a great feeling about these guys either. A couple of city boys on the bayou at night trying to find gators? They either have to be really dumb or really reckless. We hardly have any crime around these parts, mostly because we are so remote, and no one comes into the swamp if they don't have to. Growing up in the South, I know how to handle myself, but I don't want any trouble with these guys, so I grab Coco's collar to bring her inside. Coco, come on, girl, I whisper to her, but Coco doesn't move. Her eyes are locked on the boys. I've never seen her act like this before. The boat is now creeping toward the front of our dock. Coco, come on. I pull desperately on her collar to come inside. Coco lets out a deep, booming bark and bares her teeth. The boys look around startled, looking for the source of the noise that broke the silence. And then they see us. Marcus, the one driving the boat, focuses his eyes on me. His eyes run up and down my body like an x-ray. Marcus kills the engine to the boat. It bobs just a few feet away from the dock. A horrible smile crosses his face. Well, well, well. Look who we have here, Tony. A local. A horrible chill runs down my spine. This isn't good. Thoughts start racing through my head. When will Dad be back home? Has to be any minute now, right? Our closest neighbors aren't too far away, but they're older. Would they be able to hear me scream? I have Coco, but she doesn't have the strength she did when she was a puppy. Dad has the gun under his bed in the back room. If I run now, maybe I can get it. Now, Marcus is getting out of the boat and climbing onto the porch. He stumbles a little. He seems drunk. When he finds his balance, I can see his height. He looks about 6'4 and strong. Maybe a baseball player. This is bad. If I run into the house now... Will he chase after me? And if he does, what will he do? He can definitely overpower me. Marcus, what are you doing? Tony says from the boat. He seems nervous. I get the feeling that this isn't the first time Marcus has done something that has made Tony scared. Is this where you live? Marcus asks me. He is moving in closer as he says this. I say nothing. My hand is beginning to get sweaty on Coco's collar. Marcus, Tony says, nervousness ringing in his voice. He is looking around now to see if anyone is close by. Marcus ignores Tony. His cold eyes stare me down. I asked you a question, darling. Is this where you live. This feels like it's coming way too naturally to him. 
I can tell this isn't the first time he has intimidated a woman. Or worse. The thought crosses my mind and my blood turns to ice. With his eyes locked on me, he takes the last swig of his beer. And in one quick and fluid motion, slams the beer bottle across the nearest tree. The sound of glass shattering echoes through the swamp. He now holds the beer bottle out like a knife. The jagged edges catch the last remaining rays of daylight. Playing hard to get, are you? He is close enough now that I can smell the sour stench of alcohol in his breath. Coco's barks are getting more and more intense. She is snarling, teeth bared at Marcus. She is fighting back from my grasp on her collar. Make that dog shut up. And then, it all happened in a blink of an eye. Coco's collar slipped from my sweaty fingertips. She raced towards Marcus, ready to attack. Teeth ready to strike. And then, a loud pop echoed through the bayou. I looked around feverishly and confused to see what had just happened. Lying on her side in a puddle of blood was Coco, breathing hard from the pain. I looked up at Marcus, stunned. Dangling from his right hand was a handgun. I I couldn't say anything. Fear gripped my throat hard. Tony looked petrified. I'm guessing seeing Marcus with a gun was just as much a surprise to him as it was to me. Huh. Thought I would have used this on a gator today, Marcus said as he slipped the gun back into the pocket of his shorts. He inches closer to me, the beer bottle outstretched. Can't you speak? Or are you inbred or something? Marcus says. I'm now backing up as far from him as I can get. Trying my hardest to think straight. Trying to get over the shock of seeing Coco lying there. My back is against the front door now. I can feel where Dad left his banjo. I'm backing up so much I can feel the banjo strings cutting into the back of my legs. Don't come any closer. I managed to say with every ounce of confidence I have in my body. Ah, it speaks, Marcus says. He is now inches from me. He takes the beer bottle and runs it up my leg, cutting my skin. I wince from the pain, blood seeping from my wound. He laughs a horrible, disgusting laugh. Suddenly, I hear a familiar voice from behind me. What's going on here? Dad, he's back. Thank God. Relief washes over me like cold water. I'm safe. Then I remember the gun. Dad, I'm fine. Just get out of here. Who's this? The man of the house? Marcus says in a patronizing tone. Dad, please go. Get help. I'm shaking with fear and anger. This isn't good. 
I can feel Marcus getting more and more aggressive. Dad, go. He has a gun. There's an eerie quiet that penetrates the air. I can feel my dad laying out a plan. What to do next. I know he's thinking about the gun under his bed. Then Marcus takes the gun out of his pocket. Oh, that's right. I do have a gun. He looks at it for a moment, admiring the way the light hits its curves. And then, without hesitation, he aims it at my father. With one loud pop, I feel everything around me go into a swirling haze of light. A punch straight to my gut. I can hear my dad hit the ground. Marcus, proud of himself. Like he just won some competition in target practice. Thanks for reminding me of that, darling. A sick smile crosses his face. Then he looks over his shoulder at Tony for approval. Tony's paper white face stares back. He looks like a ghost. Oh, please, Tony. No one will miss these rednecks anyway. My bones feel like they are made of jello. I can hear my pulse throbbing in my head. This guy just stole everything from me. I didn't care if he shot me. I didn't care what he did. I was going to fight. My fingers clutch around the neck of the banjo. Like a bat out of hell, I ran at him. Marcus pointed his gun directly at my face, the barrel staring me down. But before he could fire, I wound up the banjo like a baseball bat and aimed for his head. I swung, catching him in the jaw. The banjo's cords exploded like an encouraging cheer. Marcus hit the ground and the gun fell out of his hand. With all my might, I found his other hand and bit down on his wrist, hard. I could feel him fighting back, the bottle digging into my arm. With his free hand, he grabbed my hair, pulling as hard as he could. I could feel him ripping out clumps from my scalp. I sunk my teeth in deeper into his wrist. Finally, I could feel his hand loosen from the bottle. I grabbed the broken bottle by its neck with my right hand and aimed for his face. The jagged edges of the glass found his eye. Over and over, I aimed the bottle at his face. I could hear it hitting flesh. Blood covered my face. I just kept stabbing, doing whatever I could to fight him. I finally felt his hand go limp from my hair and hit the porch. Blinking my eyes open, I saw the mangled and bloody face of Marcus. Glass lodged into his cheekbone. An eyeball, now removed from the socket. A mess of blood and glass. I looked up and saw Tony sitting in the boat. He looked at me, horror on his face. 
I wasn't sure if it was seeing his friend's mutilated face or the fact that Marcus just killed someone in cold blood. Get out of here, I said to him. Please. With every word, I could taste Marcus's blood on my tongue. Without a second hesitation, Tony started the engine, and the boat roared away. I looked at all the blood covering our porch. The nightmare this person caused. The life he just stole from me. The broken banjo lay next to Marcus's mangled face. I went into the house and got our rusty old chainsaw. I took a deep breath. Then I revved it up and got to work on Marcus. Cutting through skin and bone. Tendons snapping with the metal of the blade. When I was finished, Marcus was finally going to meet those gators he so desperately wanted to see. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Skeletons in My Closet podcast. Make sure to tune in to hear more stories the world was never supposed to know. Until next time, I am your host, Crystal Pastis. Don't forget to subscribe. And most importantly, make sure to lock the door and check it twice. Because these are the skeletons in my closet.